0: I want you to take your Bible. I hope you have one with you today. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 5 is where we've been going verse by verse. I will build my church is the theme. And we have been talking about the body of Christ and the local church as well, which is the body of Christ, the church. And as we come into this next section today... We're slowing down. Somebody mentioned last week, well, you've been in Ephesians 5 for a while. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Why? Because there's so much there. Let me tell you, we could stake one verse every week and we still wouldn't get to the bottom of what could be said about it because it's the Word of God. But I, I, I love going through in sections, taking out a nice section, okay? I'm good with a bite of steak, but I even like a little bigger piece, right? Steak is steak, and it's delicious, and so uh, not only one bite, but give me several bites as well, and to where we can savor it, we can enjoy it. In our message today, we are talking about the blessing of submission. With some people, that's an oxymoron. When they use the word submission, many people think, well, submission, that is an evil thing, a wrong thing. More about that in a little while. If that's what you think, you don't know what the Bible teaches on it. But let me begin with a true story. Roger Staubach, any of you old enough to remember Roger? Oh, wow, this is great. He was a believer, by the way, played for the Dallas Cowboys. Roger Staubach, who led the Dallas Cowboys to the World Championship in 1971, admitted that his position as a quarterback who didn't call his own signals was a source of trial for him. Coach Tom Landry sent in every play. He told Roger when to pass, when to run, and only in emergency situations could he change the play and he had better be right. Even though Roger considered Coach Landry to have a genius mind, when it came to football strategy, his own pride said that he should be able to run his own team. Now that's an interesting thought. He looked at Coach Landry, Tom Landry, who, by the way, was a a strong Bible believer, and um, he considered his coach to have a genius mind, but he said of himself, pride said that he should be able to run his own team. Isn't that peculiar? Isn't that interesting? Roger later said, quote, I faced up to the issue of obedience. Once I learned to obey, there was harmony, fulfillment, and... And victory, unquote. Folks, in Ephesians chapter 5, we enter into an area that has to do with the principle, the life principle of submission. In Ephesians 5.15, it says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, alertly. You're aware of what's going on around you. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, we're not spending much time on these three verses because we spent time on them last week. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. That's the key as we go into this next section. What the will of the Lord is. So let's focus in on several incredibly important truths today, okay? And the first one is this. The word of God contains the will of God. The Word of God contains the will of God. To know the will of God, we must first start with the Word of God. Not our feelings, not our opinions, not majority vote. Ephesians 5.18, then it continues. Isn't it interesting, verse 17 ends with, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, verse 18, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The Bible contains the will of God christians who say i want god's will for my life but they're not in their bible on a regular even daily basis and they're not meditating on scripture listen i don't mean to hurt your feelings today but you don't want the will of god you don't want the will of god what you want is you want god to bless your plans it doesn't work that way he's god you're not okay be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Leads us to our second point, and it is this. Part of the will of God for us as believers is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot of talk about this, particularly the last 40, 50 years, this issue of the Holy Spirit being filled with the Spirit. What is it talking about? Well, let me explain it to you from a biblical perspective. Once we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit of God, the moment we believe he comes to live inside our bodies. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Whereas in Old Testament time, you know, God would dwell in the tabernacle. God then in the early, before the church age began, he was there in the, the temple and so on and so forth. Our bodies are where he dwells today. He lives as, if we are believers, He lives inside of our bodies. He came to live inside of us. If you're in chapter 5, just hold your place and go back to chapter 1 with me for just a moment. Ephesians 1 and verse 13, it says this, "...in whom ye also trusted," referring that we trusted in Jesus Christ, "...in whom ye also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation." in whom also after that you believed you were sealed. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest, the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. When we understand we are sinners who cannot save ourselves and that the wages of our sin is death, eternal separation from God for all eternity, When we understand that we can't earn our way to heaven because heaven's a perfect place, you got to be sinlessly perfect to get in and none of us are. But then when we understand that's why God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world and Jesus went to the cross as we sang over and over this morning. And when he died on the cross, he paid the sin debt that we owe and that he not only died, was buried and came back from the dead. And when we put our faith in him, when we trust in him as the one who did that, made that payment for our sin, we are saved and sealed from that moment on. We have eternal life. We're guaranteed a home in heaven no matter what. And the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of our bodies, and he's not leaving until we get to heaven. This is what the Bible teaches us. Now, Once he is inside of us, the Holy Spirit wants to fill us or I think a better word for it would be control us is what the idea of fill is there. Go back to verse 18, 518. To be filled is the idea of being under the control of something or someone. Isn't it interesting the analogy or the illustration that God uses in the word of God is be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. If you're drunk with wine... That's a D-U-I. If you're driving and you're drunk with wine, driving under the influence, under the influence. In other words, alcohol is controlling you. It's impacting you. God says, don't get drunk. Don't get under that influence. Rather, get under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside of you. Don't be controlled by alcohol. That does awful things to people. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. He does wonderful things to people. And so we see this, and it's so important. When a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, you are under his influence or controlled by him. Now listen, to be Spirit-controlled is also to be Word-controlled. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who gave us the Word of God. So when I willingly submit to the Scriptures and I let the Scriptures direct my life, I am letting the Holy Spirit control me. That's Spirit-controlled. I say that because of this. It's not a feeling. You don't act like a nut. You don't roll around on the ground and flop like a fish that's just been caught and put on the dock, like in some churches today. You don't act weird. You don't act in a way that scares people. If you want to know what a person looks like who's under the control of the Holy Spirit, go to Galatians 5. Don't go there now, but on your own time. Galatians 5, and look at the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, that is what the Holy Spirit produces in the life of a Christian who's under his control. And by the way, you know what it is? Love, joy, peace, gentleness meekness long-suffering goodness faith so on that's the fruit of the spirit you don't act weird you act godly jesus never acted weird the holy spirit will have you living like jesus it will never be perfect okay i'm not saying that but that's how you'll be because there's no contradiction between the written word and the living word And so God wants us to be under the control of the Holy Spirit or be filled with the Spirit. Now we see going through back to Ephesians chapter 5, we see three manifestations in the text of being filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Let's break this down briefly. You notice the first one manifestation of being filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Psalms, what are those? Well, It's in the middle of your Bible. Psalms were songs. They were scripture songs is what they were. And by the way, a lot of what we sang today was out of the book of Psalms. Psalms, hymns, we sang hymns today. Songs about the Lord, songs about his greatness, songs about how that relates to our lives and so forth. We have in front of you, if you stop looking at me for a second and put your eyes down to the back of the seat in front of you, you'll see something that's called a hymnal. It's a hymnal. It's got a bunch of hymns in it. And then the last one is spiritual songs. What are those? Well, they're spiritual songs. They're songs having to do about the Christian's life God, how we live as believers and so forth, God bringing us through difficulties in life and all of that. You know, I see that, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And you know what I see? Some people may not like this, but it's okay. What I see is this. There's some flexibility here. It doesn't just have to be hymns. The Bible says it can be psalms. And the Bible also says it can be just spiritual songs. Songs about the spiritual Christian life. And that's beautiful. Now, you notice this. Godly music, what is he saying? Remember, he's talking about being filled with the Spirit. And here's three manifestations. One of them is godly music. Godly music should be part of the Christian's life and also the church coming together. When we are in fellowship with the Lord, singing just seems to come easier, doesn't it? Why? It's a God thing, that's why. It's how he designed it. It's how he wired us. It's how he made us. And it's a wonderful thing. The second one here, verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God. To give thanks in all things recognizes that no matter what the circumstances, the Lord is ultimately in control. I can thank him every day I get up for that day. I can thank Him for the life I'm facing, for the things I'm facing that day. We don't always do it, folks, but we ought to. We ought to. When we, are in, when, when, when we are walking with the Lord, we can rest in that. Lord, You are in control. The Father is watching out for His children. Do we understand it? The Father is not only watching out for His children, but when we thank him when we from the heart are giving thanks it shows that we're walking by faith we're trusting him by the way faith and thankfulness go very much together the third one and here we go submitting to one another in the fear of god now this idea of submission the message today the blessing of submission we're going to park here for the rest of the message this issue of submission, the word submission today is seen as almost a dirty word. It is not. The word submission is given to us by God and is vital for order and also for the blessings of God in our lives as believers. We need to be in submission to the Lord. We need to be in submission to his word. See, when mankind fell in the Garden of Eden, sin entered the world. Man has been a sinner and in rebellion ever since. That's why we have the problems that we have in the world. That's why we have people like Vladimir Putin running around. He's a rebel. He's an egotistical maniac, former KGB higher up. Now think about that. And he's running Russia That's why we have people like Mussolini, Stalin, Hitler, the little guy in North Korea, Rocket Man, or whatever you call him. (laughs) Listen, these people, their egos are huge. Man with a big ego is a problem because he doesn't know how to control it. By the way, that's the beauty of getting saved because now we have the Holy Spirit inside and he can do a better job in controlling us than we can. So it doesn't just make sense to yield to him and to surrender to him and let him run our lives. That way we won't get in trouble. That way our life can be blessed. But man has been in rebellion ever since. The sin nature in us is what wants us to go against everything God wants for us. And this is one reason why we need as human beings to be saved. I want you to hold your place here and go with me to Romans chapter 5. I've already briefly made mention of this, but perhaps you're here today or maybe watching over live streaming or hearing this at a later time, and you might say, you know what, I came to church today because my life is a mess, or I'm listening today because somebody told me about this. They said, listen, you really need this. Well, this is the part that you really need. You need all of it, but this is the part right now that's the most important part So I want you to listen up. Friends, you need a savior. If you die without Jesus Christ as your savior, without you trusting in him as your payment for sin, you'll spend forever separated from God in a literal hell. I don't even like saying that, but it's true. And Jesus talked about it a lot, but he came to be the solution. Let me explain it to you. Here we are. This is you and me. My wallet represents our sin. We're all sinners. Yet God loves us. He hates our sin. He loves us. See, sin separates us from God. You can't go to heaven as long as you've got your sin. It's got to be paid for. The sin has to be gone before you can go to heaven because heaven's a perfect place. No sin can dwell there. Yet here we are as sinners. God says, because we've basically we violated him, we violated his laws, and he says, you've broken my laws. There's a debt that has to be paid. There's a fine, for lack of a better term. The wages of sin is death. That means separation from God for all eternity. If we die with our sin, we'll be lost forever. Now, good works do not take it away. Most people think, well, I'll do good works. No, Death is the only payment for sin. Good works won't do it. So you can try all you want, but it still doesn't change the fact you're a sinner. If the pages of my Bible represented a whole lifetime of good works, you put that on you, that doesn't take away your sin. It looks better, but it doesn't solve the problem. This is why God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world. This hand representing Jesus Christ here's our sin. The Bible says when Jesus died on the cross, he took all of our sin of our whole lifetime upon himself. And he died as our substitute. He took our place. He died for our sins. He had none of his own. He was buried and rose from the grave. And he says, if you will believe, put your faith in him that he did that for you, the moment you do, he saves you forever. You become a child of God. All your sins are forgiven. Oh, you don't know what I've done. You are right. But guess what? God does and he says this can be true on your behalf. You can have this if you'll simply put your faith in Christ. Look at it, Romans chapter five and verse eight. It says, for God commendeth, he, he displayed, for God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Look up here. For God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you believe that, if your faith is in what he did for you, he'll give you everlasting life. Can't make a mistake. Verse 9, much more than now being justified by his blood, payment he made, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Wrath would be the judgment that God is going to pour out on those who die without Christ. If you trust in Christ the Savior, all your sins taken care of. Therefore, what is there to send you to hell? Nothing. Nothing. You have no sin. You go to heaven. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? I hope you have. Now, for those of us who are saved, you're in Romans chapter 5. Turn one page over to Romans chapter 6. And it says this, "'What shall we say then for those of us who are saved? "'Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound?' "'Of course, the answer, verse 2, is God forbid. "'Look at verse 11. "'Likewise, reckon or consider ye also yourselves "'to be dead indeed unto sin, "'but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. "'Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body "'that you should obey it in the lusts thereof.' Neither yield your members, parts of your body, neither yield you members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. You notice this idea of yielding. To yield is to present, to give over to, is the idea. It's not the same words, but it's the same concept as Submission. Where I say to the Lord, Lord, you know what's best for me as your child. You love me. You can't make a mistake. You're smarter than I am. Your plan is better than mine because you're God, I'm not. Therefore, I submit myself to you. I yield myself to your plan. Do you get it? Now, I want you to go back with me to Ephesians chapter 5. And back to verse 21, Ephesians 5 and verse 21, and it says this, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Verse 21 is many times simply read over and not thought out or not thought about much at all, but it is actually the door to understanding the following verses on the family, Next week, we start getting into the family relationship, husbands, wives, children, and so forth. Right there in the text of Ephesians, is this practical or what? But the foundation of having a home that is right is everybody being in submission to God's will and to God which leads us to our fourth point, and it is this, the far-reaching principle of submission. Now, when we talk about submission, you notice there in verse 21, submitting yourselves. What in the world does that word mean, to submit? I have been amazed as a pastor over the years to, to read learned men and many who I respect. I don't know if they don't have a happy marriage or what, but they want to dance around this word and make it something that it's not you know if you talk about it enough and dance around about it enough you can try to make it something it's not it doesn't work though the word means what it means and i know this rubs a lot of people the wrong way but listen the word submit means to be subordinate to it means to be under obedience well if you knew here we go here we go. Well, if you knew. L- listen, friend, human suffering and pain because of other people mistreating us is a very sad, real, and sobering truth. But it does not change the ways of God. This is very important to understand. I'm dead serious about this. You might say you don't understand my pain. You are I don't understand it like you do, but God does. And he's not changed his word. His word is the way out of bad situations. His word is the way, if peace is going to come to a relationship, his word is the way it happens by following what he says. To submit is to be subordinate to, to be under obedience. God has given it and created the principle, and it is for our good, it is not for our bad. It brings order and respect to our relationships with other people. The Lord Jesus Christ is our example when it comes to submission. In Philippians chapter 2, in verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of, of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, listen now, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Notice that humility is a major factor when it comes to the word submission. Submission is not an issue of being inferior but humble and obedient. Let me say that again. Submission is not an issue of being inferior, but humble and obedient. Submission brings order and peace. This is the truth of God. Now, let me touch on several key issues on this issue of submission. I know there are people who come to church who have open wounds in their hearts and in their lives because of being mistreated by somebody, I understand that. But we don't throw out the plan of God because man has abused the word of God. God gives us, if there's going to be a way out of the situation, it is God who gives us the way out. And we need to submit, we need to be subordinate to, under the authority of God. First is this, submission is God's plan, not man's. To submit to one another is to be under obedience to God's plan for us. It is a matter of principle. It is not a matter of preference. It is submission when things are easy. And it is submission when things are tough. The plan does not change. The goal does not change. The principle does not change. The word of God does not change. If it is God's plan, then you cannot improve on it seeing the Lord is omniscient and he is loving and he is kind. This is his character. God knew before we ever came into the world how man would be, how man would fail, how man would be in conflict with one another, husbands and wives, employees and employers, children and parents, church people and pastors, government and people, And he says, I've still given you these principles to live by. See, here's the problem. The depth of the principle is greater than we can comprehend. He has made us and he has designed us and he knows what is best for us. Jesus said, I want you to see this. Look with me to John chapter 8. Hold your place. Look at John chapter 8 in verse 32. Jesus is talking here about discipleship to some new believers. And he said, listen, you need to know my way. You need to know my truth. Why? To imprison you? To put you in shackles? To make you miserable? To wreck your life? No. Jesus is God who can't lie, can't make a mistake, can't f- stumble. And he says, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you what? Free. So the word of God, the truth of God, the principles in scripture will result, if we follow them, it will result in an inner freedom in our life. Even in the midst of difficulty, there can be freedom. So let's move on, back to Ephesians. First, we saw submission as God's plan, not man's. But secondly, we are to submit first to the Lord himself. Now this is key when it comes to submission to one another in verse 21. We are to submit first to the Lord himself. This includes his word because he gave us the word through inspiration. It's a perfect word. If the Lord is perfect and cannot make a mistake, then what he tells us in the Bible is perfect and true and cannot be a mistake either because it's his word. So this is the way. Now back in verse 21, it says, Submitting yourselves one to another, you notice the term. Very important part of this whole principle. In the fear of God, we must realize that we are going to give an account to the Lord for how well we have followed his plan. That's why it says in Romans 12:1, Paul says, after the marvelous first 11 chapters of Romans, the Magna Carta of Christianity, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present Your body, interesting, present, submit, same concept. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. There are five areas of submission in life that have been given to us by God himself. Please listen to these. Some of you know these already. Some of you may have never heard this before. But this brings a lot of understanding to life. And as a result, by the way, freedom if we practice it. Marriage. God has a plan. He has an order in marriage. Okay? Now, we're going to be talking about it the next two weeks here at church. But let me say this. Here's the way it looks. And maybe I should have given you a slide on this, but you can get it if you're paying attention. Are you paying attention? Are we all paying attention? We got it. Okay? Here it is. It's not... Husband, wife. You might say, wait a minute, that's what the Bible says. No, wait a minute. It's only part of it. You're missing the most important part. Submitting yourselves one to another. What's the last part of the verse? What is it? In the fear of God. It's God, husband, wife. The wife submits to her husband because God is the one who told her to submit to her husband. The husband submits to his wife. I'll explain that in just a minute. Because God is the one who told him to submit to his wife. In no part of society, the five areas that God gives us, in no part of society is it supposed to be in rebellion to the authority of God. No, God is the one who tells us how it's supposed to be, and we are to submit to it because he has given us the plan. Therefore, when we submit to it, we're submitting to the plan of God. I say, yeah, but what about? We'll get there. We'll get there. Hold your horses, if you have them. Five areas: marriage, God, the husband, the wife. Well, I thought husbands and wives are are to be partners. Yeah, they are partners. But remember, she was created to be a helper to him as the leader. God is the one who set this up. God, the husband, the wife. Yeah, but what if a man is mean to his wife? We'll get there. There's answers for this. Man does not have the right to have unbridled power. That's a man in rebellion. I'm going to get a little ahead of myself, but the husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. The husband's place is to be the loving leader in the home, not just the leader, not just the lover, but the loving leader in the home. You know what? If he's a loving leader, he's not going to be abusive to his wife. Who taught him to be that way? God. Do you see it? God, husband, wife. Then there's the issue of the family. Mommy, daddy. Daddy's the head of the home, but mommy's there. His helper, his partner on that. And who's under that? The children. The children are to obey their parents in all things, For this is right, according to Scripture. And as children understand what God says, you obey your parents. Why? God's the one who told you to obey your parents. He's the ultimate authority. We are to submit to him and his plan, which we find in Scripture and as we do. By the way, if you as a father are in submission to God's plan, you're going to be a godly father, not an ungodly one. If you're a mother... And you're going to submit to God's plan, you're going to be a godly mother, not a carnal one, not a sinful one. And if you're going to submit to God's plan as a child, you're going to do it. Why? Because God is the one. I need to be a good dad. Why? Because God told me I need to be a good dad. He tells me how, and he says, you're going to give an account for what kind of a dad you were. My wife, same thing for her. Do you understand it? Do you see how this fits? No unbridled power. I'll keep saying that as I go through. The workplace. God is the one over the workplace. Then there's the employer. Then there's the employee. The employee should obey the boss. Why? Because he's the boss, and God set it up this way, and we're going to see that in chapter 6. But the boss is not to be abusive. I know some are, but understand what I'm saying now. The, The boss is not to be abusive he one day is going to give an account to God Almighty for how he handled his responsibility. So we do what is right according to the principles of Scripture because God is the one who gave us those things. And ultimately, one day, we're going to give an account to him for that. Church. Church. Oh, you know, a lot of people don't, they don't have any problem with any of these except church. I'll get to church in a minute. Let's talk about Government. You know, we are to obey the laws of the land. By the way, we are to pay our taxes. Wait a minute, you don't have any idea how much money's come on my man. Here's the truth of it according to scripture, God is over the governments of the world. Did you know that? The Bible tells us that God raises one up and puts down another, God gives countries the leadership they deserve. He is in control, though. The Bible is abundantly clear on this. Those in government authority, according to uh, Romans 13, are one day going to give an account to God Almighty for how they govern. This is inescapable. Yet as citizens, we are to obey the laws of the land. That is what we're supposed to do. Now, then there's the church. Did you know if you're part of a local church, maybe this is why some people aren't part of a church, if they can be. I know we've got people who watch us. There's no churches. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about people such as who live in St. Cloud, who we've led to Christ, who don't go to church. Why? Because they don't want to do what is right. They could be here, but they're not. Happens all over, by the way, not just here. But you know, those in the local church are under the leadership of the pastor and they should be submitted to the authority and the leadership of the pastor. Wait a minute, that turns a dictator. No, wait a minute, wait a minute. Again, you're missing it. See, we're so conditioned to make excuses. Listen, I am going to give an account to God Almighty one day for how I led as a pastor. Did I, live, did I lead in humility? Did I lead in love? Did I lead according to scripture? Or did I see it as a power grab and I'm going to abuse and get everything I can get? I'm going to give an account for how I lead. Now in our church, the way we are set up, those in leadership must be in line with the word of God and living according to the word of God. And if they stop doing that, then they are supposed to get out of that position. That is actually in our constitution. So no abuse can be taken. Now listen, I know there are pastors who abuse. I've known some in my lifetime. But that doesn't change the principle. You don't throw out the word of God because there are those who violate it. What kind of a world would that be? See, here's the thing. You come to me with an issue and say, Pastor, can you give me a hand with this? I'm looking at you, and I think, okay, I love this person. What can I share with them from the Bible, principles from Scripture that are going to help them with the difficulty they're facing? And then when you get the answer, you ought to do the answer you received. That's all this is. This is not cultic or something like that. This is Bible. So marriage, family, workplace, government, church. Church. Those are the five areas. And when we follow God's principles, if everybody follows God's principles, well, that doesn't work. Let me ask you something. If it doesn't work, why doesn't it work? Is it God's fault or man's fault? It's man's fault. God can't make a mistake. His ways are perfect according to Scripture. But we mess it up, that's what happens. This leads us to our third issue on this. We are to submit to one another. There is a path of submission to every relationship. Every relationship. This brings balance. The example again, a wife is to submit to her husband, but he is also to submit to her. He submits to his wife willingly by being a loving leader. Not a dictator, not a drill sergeant, but a loving leader. When they face issues in life... He respects her enough to ask her opinion. Why? Because God gave her to him to help him make decisions. This isn't, wife, you be quiet. I'm the leader here. I'm the boss, in case you forgot. Listen, friend, if that's what you have to do, you're losing the battle. When a wife respects her husband as she should, it's going to be easier for her to submit. I didn't say she shouldn't submit. See, that's where people go with this. Well, I can't respect them. Therefore, I won't submit. That's not going to help the situation. It's only going to drive a bigger wedge in between you. I'm getting ahead of myself. He submits to his wife by willingly being a loving leader in the home. The way or direction of that submission may be different in different circumstances, but everyone is responsible to God. Everyone is responsible to God. Everyone is responsible to God. Well, I work for a guy. He's a total jerk. Guess what? He is going to answer to God for how he did his job one day. Did you know that? Well, it doesn't help me now. You know what? You're not thinking right. You ought to be able to get peace in the situation. And can I tell you this? If your boss is a jerk... And things are intolerable where, work, where you work There's all kinds of work out there folks Go for it All kinds of work But you know what? Be sure that the reason he comes across as a jerk Is because you first came across as a jerk And you're making it harder for him to manage you Don't be that way Some Christians are that way And that's a disaster We need to be the best we can be Now here you go well, fine, these are ideal, you know. What you're saying is, I've I've been, people tell me, you're just idealistic. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Do you know what that means? I believe that there is an ideal. Here it is. Here's the ideal. The only time, and this is key, the only time where submission to those God has put over us is to be rejected is when that authority wants us to do something that violates the word of God. We remember who's on top? Who's the ultimate authority? God is. Therefore, if whoever's over me wants me to do something contrary to scripture, I have the right, and I should do it in a proper spirit, but I have the right to say, I'm sorry, I can't do that. That violates the word of God. God is my ultimate authority. When the authority over us wants us to do something that violates Scripture, then we ought to obey God rather than man. Man is never the ultimate authority. God is always the ultimate authority. As a matter of fact, we see that in Acts chapter 5, the religious leaders came to the apostles. The apostles were on fire for Christ, sharing the gospel like crazy. They were throwing them in jail. They were beating them. They were doing everything else. And they come to them. you Stop. You stop basically sharing the gospel. They didn't use those terms, but that's what they were doing. And then Peter, Acts 5, 29, then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. There comes a time, folks, when we have to do that. You want to call it civil disobedience? You can, whatever. There is a time and place for it. When the government wants to do something that is contrary to the word of God, we as believers do have... The right to say, No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Which leads us to our last point, and it is this. Everyone is accountable to God to properly fulfill their role. There is no place for unbridled power. We will stand before God one day and give an account on how we did. Written to Christians, it says in 2 Corinthians 5 10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We as believers will stand before the Lord one day. In heaven now, it's not a matter of where you're going when you die. You're already in heaven. But we are gonna give an account to God for how we lived our lives. And a lot of it falls under this issue of submission. Because submission first and foremost is to who? It is to him, to him, to him.